it's one of those things where you just kind of make the best out of a situation, and I'm just going to put this out there. I'll take Philip and an acoustic anytime. I mean, I've really enjoyed. Now, I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm looking forward to having the whole band back. Um, I think we should get confetti cannons, but that's not true. We don't do confetti. Anyway, super glad that you're here today. Um, today I want to talk to you about, um, about well, let, let me start out this way. I want to talk to you about travel. Traveling for me, brings out the best and the worst in me. Um, I enjoy traveling in regards to actually getting to the destination. What I don't enjoy about traveling is the process. And because I'm a pastor, God makes sure that every time I travel, something crazy happens because that I have to have illustrations. So um, several years ago, I was on a trip, and it was a much-needed trip. I needed to get away and I'm on a plane, and the plane is starting the descent, and I'm going to these tropical islands, right, a little tropical place. And I don't know if you've ever been to somewhere tropical, but as the plane begins to descend, you look, you look out the window, and you can see the water, and the water almost doesn't look real. Like it looks, it, it, I've never seen water that blue. I mean, because hello, I live near Lake Hartwell. That water's never been blue a day in the history of the world. So I'm, I'm looking at this water, and it's amazing. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm almost there. And then the plane um, just leveled out and started kind of flying like this. And I'm, I'm just like, well, okay, I guess they just, I'm on the scenic flight. I have no idea. Then the pilot comes over, the PA, and he says, Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry. Pause. That's something you never want your pilot, your doctor, or your dentist to say. I'm sorry. You never want to hear that from those three people. But he said, I'm sorry. Um, they're telling us that the traffic, air traffic, is a little bit extra today. And because of that, we're going to go into a holding pattern. Holding pattern is code for drive you freaking crazy because we were in a holding pattern. Now, I'm, I'm probably, at this point, it's probably exaggeration because it felt like two hours. It might have been two minutes. I don't know, but it felt like two hours. So we're flying around this destination. I can see it. Like, I can see it. Like, I'd hit the little call button, ding, you know, flight attendant's like, you give me a parachute, I'll, I'll save you all the trouble. I'll just, I'll just go because I'm ready to get out of this plane. And she, ha ha, sir. And I was like, you know what? After about five more minutes, I was like, you know what? Screw the parachute. I think I can land in the water and be okay because I don't, I don't, I didn't enjoy the holding pattern. I didn't go on a vacation to, to be on a holding pattern. I didn't sign up for the holding pattern flight. Nobody that I've ever met that's been involved in any type of airplane travel enjoys the holding pattern. But for some of us today, well, that's where we are in life. has nothing to do with an airplane flight. It just has to do with where we are spiritually. Maybe you're, maybe you're not quite where you thought you would be at this point in your life. And you know, and you know at some point in your past, God has spoken something to you. God has spoken something into you. You feel like you heard God promise you something. You felt like you, you were close with God. You were connected with God. You were on a journey. You were on your way. But all of a sudden, spiritually, for whatever reason, you find yourself in a holding pattern. And the same thing that was true about me on that airplane that day 
That's true about us spiritually. When we get in a holding pattern, we want to get out. Like, we'll bail. We'll bail on God. We'll bail on friends. We'll bail on everybody. So today's message is going to be specifically for the people that feel like you're in a holding pattern. And you're not quite sure what to do. I'm going to give you my main point before I even begin the message. So just in case, when we get to the NC-17 part, you have to cut it out because the kids or the grandkids are listening. Here's what I want you to walk away with today, and it's this. God's word to you is true and can be fully trusted. God's word to you. God's word. Now, you you could even take out the to you. God's word is true and can be fully trusted. But there's somebody watching today, and I understand what this is like. You felt like God spoke something to you and into you, and all of a sudden you wind up in a holding pattern, and you begin to doubt, did I even hear God? Can I even hear God? Does God even exist? I mean, these are questions we wrestle with, and I want to talk about this today by diving into the life of a guy named David. Now, if you're a Bible person, you automatically know who David is. David, he did all these great things. And and if you're not a Bible person, you've probably heard of David and Goliath. That's this David. And over the past two weeks, um, I've been reading through 1 and 2 Samuel and just saw some things about King David's life that I thought would be applicable to our lives, especially for those that feel like you're in a holding pattern. Um, I want to, let me set up the story. In Israel, there was a king, and his name was Saul. Um, and Saul went psycho. At first, he was a good king, but then he kind of lost his mind. And, um, and he's, he, so God's getting, to replace, God's getting ready to replace Saul as the king. So he tells Samuel, who's the prophet, he said, go to Jesse's house. And evidently, Samuel knew where Jesse's house was. And he said, he's got, a, he's got one of his sons, and I want you to anoint his son as the next king of Israel. So Samuel goes to Jesse's house, finally winds up seeing David, and there's a process there. It's a whole other message for a whole other time. But this is what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. Um, scripture says, So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of oil he had brought and anointed David with oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. So this is powerful. Don't miss this. David, at this point in the story, is around 17 years old. And at 17 years old, he gets told by the prophet of the nation, one day you're going to be the king of of the nation of Israel. Now, that's a lot to process. And I'm 49. Can you imagine being told you're going to be the king at 17? I, like, like we've, got an, we've got an election coming up Tuesday in case nobody's heard. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be president. Well, I'll tell you that. I would want to be president for like two weeks because there's some cool stuff I'd like to do. Like I'd like to ride Air Force One because um, ever since Harrison Ford was in that movie, I want to see if all that stuff is true. And as the world leader, I'd like to go have um, tea with the Queen of England because she seems pretty cool. Um, so I'd like, to, I'd like to do some stuff like that, travel a little bit. But after about two weeks, I'd be like, hey, y'all can have your country back. This place is crazy. But I can't imagine what it would be like to be told at 17, 
You're going to be the leader of a nation. And this wasn't like some crazy, weird, random thing. This was like Samuel, the prophet. Samuel had credibility. Samuel was legit. And so David gets told he's going to be the leader of Israel. Awesome. Well, the next chapter in the Bible is 1 Samuel 17. And many of us have probably heard that story. It's about David and Goliath. And David goes and he kills Goliath. But what's fascinating is how David actually got to the battle. Because what happens here at 17 is David gets told God's going to do this great thing in your life, but then he gets put in a holding pattern. And watch, watch what happens in the next chapter. This is so fascinating. 1 Samuel 17, verse 17. One day, Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread, carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. So you got David doing DoorDash for his brothers. I don't know if you've tried that yet. It's really cool. So David's doing DoorDash right here. J Jesse tells David, you need to go take some food to your brothers. Now, pause. If I'm David, I'm pulling the, I'm, I'm sorry, Dad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm anointed. Dad, I'm the, I'm the king. Just in case, remember when Samuel came, he put the oil on my head. He didn't put it on your head or my brother's head. He put it on mine. So I'm, I'm like the king. You know what, Dad? Why don't you bring me some bread? And Dad, why don't you make me a pizza? Dad, why don't, Dad, I need a pedicure. Like, I am, I am the king. But David didn't have that attitude. He didn't have that posture. It, it, let, it's essential to have humility in the holding pattern. Because if, if God can't trust David to take some food to his brothers, then how could he trust David to lead an entire nation? There's got to be humility in the holding pattern. This is crazy. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting against Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts, as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. David would not have even gotten to the battle had he not had the posture of humility in his whole... He didn't say, Dad... I'm, I'm the king. He didn't show up on the scene and go, oh, what's going on? Oh, I'm the king. Let me tell you all how to handle Goliath. No, 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 no. He walked in humility in his holding pattern, and God event, and it's what brought him to the place where he could actually step into his destiny. Now, this used to bother me because I was on staff at a church, and I was the minister of miscellaneous. And I remember one of the things I hated to do was change the stupid church sign because we had one of those church signs out front that are dumb. I hate them. I hate all church signs. I know you've probably got a story about how your cousin read a church sign or, or, or read a church sign and met Jesus. I got a story in the Bible how, how a donkey talked and, and, and met Jesus. It's the same thing, church signs. Like, our, our Sundays are better than Baskin-Robbins. What the heck? Baskin-Robbins don't even exist anymore because they charge too much for the ice cream. It was overpriced and overrated, okay? I hate... Um, 
come on, you know, come on in. The, the weather's fine. I, I put one up one time. I got in a little trouble because um, they told me, just make up the church sign. So I put happy hour this Sunday. I thought that appealed to my market, but uh, the deacons didn't like that very much. But I thought, hey, what? Anyway, so I hate church signs. And I remember my pastor would give me this thing, like, go put up this church sign. I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. In my I wouldn't say that out loud because I like my job. And I remember being out every, every time. I'd be like, God, I'm, a, I'm called, I'm gifted to preach. I'm out here doing this stupid church sign. One time I was like, read to your children. I'm like, what the? Okay, so I'm doing this read to your children. And God spoke to me very clearly. And he said, if I can't trust you to do the things behind the scenes, if I can't trust you, to do what's given to you, then how can I trust you with greater things? Now, I wish I could tell you my attitude completely changed on the church signs. I still think they're stupid, but I did it. It was one of those things where God had to teach me humility in my holding pattern. And because David had humility to do this, he saw Goliath, where everybody else saw an obstacle, he saw an opportunity. He kills Goliath, and then he, he gets promoted. Saul makes him like a leader in the army, and David actually goes out and fights and wins some battles and stuff like that. But then problem happens. Here we go. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul, and they sang and danced for joy, so we know they weren't Baptist, and tambourines, they were charismatic, and cymbals, this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands, and they are loving it. I mean, this song is at the top of, like, radio playlists and everything, and everybody loved it, except Saul. Saul didn't like it. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said? They credit David with 10,000s and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. <laughs> Funny thing, Saul, he's already in line. He's already anointed, but Saul didn't know that at this point. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Now, this next part is where it gets crazy because sometimes when you're in the holding pattern, not sometimes, every time you've ever been in a holding pattern, you face opposition. The enemy is going to try to come after you to distract you from the promises that God has spoken into you. He does it with David. Watch this. And this is what you call an epic distraction. Here we go. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped him twice. Problem. Let's say, let's say earlier Philip was up here with his little guitar. He's just his own little happy world, talking about how God is so good. And all of a sudden, a spear flies by him. Now, he's from Georgia. He's seen stuff like this before. This is a normal Saturday night in Georgia, right? But then the next one, you know, whew, and he looks and it's me on the front row. Philip's not going to be like, you know, our pastor, is it, COVID, has, COVID has robbed your brain, sir. Like, that's what's going to happen. That's what's happening. David, 
I'm anointed by God. I'm anointed. All of a sudden, he's at the battlefront. He beats Goliath. He's getting some attention. People are singing songs about him. Next thing you know, opposition. We always face opposition in the holding pattern. The enemy's always going to come after us in the holding pattern. Hey, if you and the devil aren't butting heads, it means you're walking in the same direction. So opposition doesn't mean that you're walking in the wrong direction. Opposition is confirmation that you're in the place that God wants you to be. Don't give up the fight that God spoke into you just because you're getting opposition in the holding pattern. Opposition always shows up in the holding pattern. There's people right now that you want to give up because of the opposition, but this is what I've learned. Resistance actually makes us stronger. I was lifting weights the other day. Not a lot of weights, but I was, I'm, I'm, I'm strong for my age. I'm 49. I'm not going to enter a contest or anything, but I was lifting some weights. And after I lift weights, I'm sore. You know what? It, it breaks the muscle down. But because of the resistance of the weights, I get stronger. Resistance doesn't take us out. Resistance sometimes keeps us in the game. So if you're in the holding pattern and you feel like all oh, hell has broken loose, God's word to you is still true and can be fully trusted. Well, David hangs around because he's just a good guy, I guess. And Saul thinks, well, I need to marry him off to one of my daughters. You know, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. And he's, tr he's still trying to kill David. And, and David's like, well, who am I? I can't. I can't marry your daughter, Saul. And so Saul marries his first daughter off. But his second daughter, her name is Michael, and she must have been hot because David was interested. And, and people told Saul, hey, David's interested in Michael. Now, back in the day, they had what they called a bride price. Like the father could demand a price for the daughter. You want to marry my daughter? I'm going to need a Jeep Rubicon. I'm just, I'm just hypothetically saying. So you're going to marry my daughter? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need something. Well, this is where it gets a little weird. And this is in the Bible. And some of you have gone to church your whole life and you've never heard this story. It's uncomfortable. I don't like talking about it. If you don't know what any of these words mean, we're, nobody's here today. But email cole.farlow, our student pastor. He would love to explain any of this to you. Here we go. When Saul's men reported this back to King, he told them, tell David that all I want for the bride price is a is a hundred Philistine foreskins. Awkward. I, okay. Okay. Vengeance on my enemies is all I really want. Well, I mean, I could I could kill somebody, but like the that, okay. But what Saul had in mind was that David would be killed in the fight. So Saul was setting David up for failure. Here's where it gets even crazier. Because some of you are like, it can't get crazier than that. Oh, yes, it can. And this is in your Bible, not your children's Bible. Because, woo, here we go. David was delighted to accept the offer. Okay. I mean, <laughs> Michael must have been smoking hot. That's all I got to say. Before the time limit expires, he and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines. 
Then David fulfilled the king's requirements by presenting all their foreskins to him. You think you got a bad job? Can you imagine David's friend, Frank? Hey, David, what am I going to do today? You're going to do some counting, Frank. And so, 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 so Saul gave his daughter, Michael, to David to be his wife. Now, all I'm trying to, all I'm trying to point out right here is that we can agree this scene is messy. Agree? This is not, if they do a full-length movie on the Bible, this scene gets cut every time. Cut. <laughs> that was funny. Y'all see what I did there? I didn't mean to do that. I was just going to get some water real quick. I didn't mean to do that. Dear God, is it hot in here right now? It's getting hot in here. I shouldn't sing that. Okay, sorry, sorry. Back to the text. Back to the text. Y'all need, y'all are getting me off track. All I'm trying to say is things get messy in the holding pattern. This is messy. This is messy. This is not something David wanted to do. This wasn't his life dream. This wasn't his ambition. This wasn't his goal. I mean, to me, I'm, I'm pursuing my dream, so I'm going to quit my job. Okay, well, that's awesome that you quit your job. How are you going to pay your freaking light bill? When things get messy in the holding pattern, that's not code to bail out. That's code that God is working because He's the only one that can take a mess and turn it into a miracle. If he can take a bloodstained cross and turn it into an empty tomb, then he can take the situations that we are in, no matter how messy they are, and one day, somehow, someway, use them for his glory. Because like Philip saying about earlier, he's just so good, even when it gets messy. He can still bring out a miracle. He's done it in my life over and over and over again. Well, eventually, it gets, to, it gets to be too much. Saul tries a couple more times to kill David, and David's like, I need a jet. So David leaves. Now, the Bible says, so David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adulam. Now, I've actually been to this cave. It's super, super cool. In fact, a funny story. We walked up to the cave. Now, I was with my friend Aria. I've told many, many people know about Aria. And I'm with a group. And we walked up to the entrance of the cave. And he's just standing there. And we all got there. And he took a rock and he threw it in the cave. I thought that was like symbolic of something. I'm like, what does that mean? He goes, oh, do not worry. There is most likely a hyena in this cave. I throw the rock in to scare him out. He comes out. You do not be frightened. I'm like, yo, bro, I saw the Lion King. The hyenas were the scariest part. If the hyena comes out, I'm, I'm, I'm going to walk on water, all right? Anyway, that was, that was totally free right there. So he went in the cave of Adjelon. Soon, his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. Then others began coming. Men who were in trouble or in debt or who were just discontented. So basically, David planted a church. That's what happened right there. Until David was the captain of about 400 men. Now, don't miss this. Pay attention to the people that God brings into your life when you're in your holding pattern. Because those are the people that will stick with you for the rest of your life, no matter what you go through. 
These people right here that came to David in the cave, they stood with him for the rest of his life. Even when one of his own sons rose up and tried to take over the kingdom, these men went with David. You see, David had some friends before he got there, but they were all in the palace. But when David left the palace, a lot of these guys didn't come with him. And David would go on eventually to become king, and he would have a lot of attention and recognition. But he trusted the people that God brought to him in his holding pattern. So when you're in your holding pattern, pay attention to the relationships around you because God will use those relationships to build you up and encourage you in ways you could never imagine. These people never walked away from David. And your friends that God brings to you in your holding pattern are the people that you're going to be able to lean in on for the rest of your life. You can trust those people. You can trust them. Well, Saul, he just won't stop trying to kill David. He's pursuing him all over the place. David's on the run. And then this happens. Now, once again, once again, I, don't get mad at me. This is in the Bible. I'm just reading some scripture, and I'm going to make a couple comments because it's too good to not make a comment. Here we go. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, y'all know what that is, right? At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, somewhere down in Belton. Y'all know exactly where that is, but they knew where it was in the Bible. Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. Because they didn't have a QT, right? If I'm, if I'm traveling, I find a QT. They've got a clean bathroom and everything. Everybody's happy in QT, so I just go to Q, but they didn't have QT. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now, a couple things just to think about before we move on. Saul was trying to kill David. But Saul was a man. Had he been a woman, all of them would have went to the cave to relieve themselves because they all go together, right? Anybody want to go? Yes, hi. And then they're all together. But men never get up from the table and go, God, go take. I mean, well, yeah, actually we do. We announce it, but other men don't get up and go, I will go with you. That's, that's just men. We, that's our time to go read our phones for 20 minutes, all right? So, so Saul goes into the cave to relieve himself, and David just happened to be in that cave. Now, let me ask you a question. Men, how vulnerable are you in a situation like this when you're having to do the squatty potty thing in the cave you're just, you getting a picture of this, Cole? You getting it? You getting it? I'm sure this is going to be on the internet. I mean, w w could we agree that this is vulnerable? In the cave? Taking a slam in the cave. And, and this is the opportunity for David to go and kill Saul and end it all. But you know what? In the holding pattern, you got to decide you got to decide, are you going to fight your battles or are you going to let God fight your battles? 
Are you going to take things in your own hands? Or are you going to trust God to take them in his hands? Do you want things handled in your time? Or do you want God to handle things in his time? I can remember going through something very... Um, I, I can remember very clearly God speaking to me several years ago, going, do you want to fight this battle? Or do you want me to fight this battle? David could have went up, killed Saul, and ended it all. But watch what happens. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Sometimes, sometimes your friends give you bad advice. They do. They do. It happens. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy in your power to do with as you wish. So David <laughs> crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. No idea why. No idea what that means. But Saul is in the vulnerable position, and David sneaks up, and Saul evidently isn't paying it. Because you you're not looking for anything like that to happen, and this happens. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the king. There's that humility again. There's the humility in the holding pattern. There's the trusting God. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm in a holding pattern. I'm going to trust you with this problem rather than taking this problem in my own hands. Now, I don't know about you. I'm a fighter. I'm a fighter. If I have a problem or a situation, I want to take it in my own hands. And sometimes God goes, if you want to fight that battle, you can fight it. But when you put your hands in, I'll pull my hands out. So Scripture says, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. How much faith did David have in God to let this happen? God always builds our faith in the holding pattern. Some of us, don't miss this, some of us would not have the faith that we have today had we not been in that holding pattern a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago. And if God was faithful then, he'll be faithful again because that's the kind of God we serve. Because David, David was 17 when he got told, you're going to be the king of the nation of Israel. And at 18, he wasn't king and at 21, he wasn't king. And at 25, he wasn't king. And at 28, he wasn't king. But when he turned 30 years old, 13 years later, Saul had been killed in battle, and the people of Judah, which, is a, which was the southern part of Israel, the author of Samuel tells us, then the men of Judah came to David and anointed him king over the people of Judah. Now, on the surface, this is amazing. Oh my gosh, God is doing what he said he would do. David is 30 years old when this happened. David was in a holding pattern for 13 years. And a lot of people would look and say, 
David finally achieved his goal. But this is, this, this, and please hear this. Don't ever settle for less than God's best in the holding pattern. Because while this is amazing, and while this is awesome, and while this is spectacular, it's not what God promised. God didn't promise David, you're going to be the king of Judah. God promised David, you're going to be the king of the nation. So don't settle for less than what God spoke into you when you're in your holding pattern. Because sometimes we look for relief rather than holding on to the promises of God. Seven years later, when David was 37 years old, 20 years after the original promise, Samuel tells us, so there at Hebron, King David made a covenant before the Lord with all the elders of Israel, and they anointed him king of Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign in Judah, and he reigned 40 years in all. David was in a holding pattern for 20 years. For 20 years, humility. For 20 years, walking in the mess. For 20 years, trusting God is faithful rather than taking matters into his own hands. He fought the same battles then that we fight today. And it, the testimony of his life is true that God's word to you is true and can be fully trusted. Somebody needs to hear that today. God's word to you is true and can be fully trusted. So if you're in the holding pattern, don't give up. The holding pattern doesn't mean that God's not at work in your life. The holding pattern is proof that God is at work in your life. And he's going to bring more out of it than you could ever imagine. It might not be in your time, but it will always be in his time. And his time is always the right time. Thank God for the holding patterns he's had us in in the past. And thank God that he will be faithful with the holding patterns in the future. We pray with me. Father, I want to thank you today so much for the faithfulness that we see in the scriptures of, of David and how he had humility, how he was willing to walk through the mess and face resistance and trust in you and how you brought people around him to encourage him and support him in his holding pattern. And Father, I want to pray for the person watching today that God, they, they're, they're having some problems hanging on. The, the holding pattern could seem so overwhelming for that person that's really wrestling with their faith right now. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus right now that you will just confirm to them that your word to them is true and can be fully trusted. If you said it, you will do it. If you started it, you will finish it because you are faithful 
in all situations. If you're watching today and you've never prayed to receive Christ, I'm telling you, there's nothing better than giving your life to Jesus. Because Listen, I would much rather be in the holding pattern with Jesus than without him. If you're here today and you feel like you need to accept Christ in your life, no matter what platform you're watching on, I want to invite you to pray with me right now. Just pray in your heart. Just pray. Say, Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for my sin. And right now, Jesus, I receive you into my life. Be my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you just made that decision, whether you're watching on Facebook, YouTube, Church Online, if you'll just do the hand raise emoji just so we can celebrate this with you, um, help you out any way we can, answer any questions. If you're in a holding pattern, you, need a, you, need a, uh, you have a prayer request this week, hello at mysecondchancechurch.com. Hello at mysecondchancechurch.com. We'll have some, we do read those requests. We do pray with you and for you. We pray over those. And so if you have a prayer request, please send it our way. And don't forget, next Sunday, next Sunday, 8.30, 10, and 11.30, live services, free hugs. I mean, it's going to be such a great day. We've missed you guys so much. Can't wait to see you next week. As we always say around here, the best really is yet to come.